0: Well, welcome this morning to um, uh, Coffee Conversations, our TCN uh, webinar and podcast, um, where we have conversations and coffee. And I've got for those who are watching my Truett coffee mug here—a little, a little soft plug this morning. Um, we have conversations with uh, thought leaders in ministry about challenges in ministry, stories of ministry to encourage, support, uh, support, and equip pastors and churches. Our guests today are good friends of Truett. For those of you who are Truett alumni or students or connected in Texas Baptist life, they will be no stranger to you. To those in our network outside of Texas, um, these are men you you should know and that we are all excited to learn from and uh, hear from today. Uh, Dr. Levi Price was a longtime pastor at First Baptist El Paso, um, was the director of pastoral ministries and professor of practical theology and pastoral ministries here at Truett, retired a few years back. Currently is the interim pastor at First Baptist Clifton, just outside of Waco, up the road a little bit. Uh, Dr. Ron Cook, um, recently retired a couple years ago. He was the director of the D-Men program, doctor ministry program at Truett, the Old Testament professor at Truett, director of the W. Winford Moore Center for Ministry Effectiveness in his last post at Truett, and is now director of Arterios. Um, a, if, I, if I get that right, Ron, did I say that right? ardias um, ardias I knew when I said it, I didn't get it quite right. Um, at First Baptist Woodway, which he may tell us a little bit about, uh, is a three-year training program for um, for leaders and disciples in First Baptist Woodway. Um, these men, uh, for many of us who went to Truitt, are our mentors and our friends. Have been our our confidants and um, yeah, and mentors and friends through ministry for many years. And we're going to have the first conversation today of three over the next month where we visit with uh, Dr. Cook and Dr. Price about their ministry um, and about uh, and really in hopes of encouraging those in pastoral ministry today of uh, some of their stories and what they've learned and how they want to encourage us. Um, so, Dr. Cook, Dr. Price, thank you for being with us today. I'm glad to be Good here. Good to be with you. Yeah. I could go on and on on this, but um, I will say Personally. And I'll just say it in this first one, and I won't burden you guys with this every time, how much you've meant to me personally in my life. Uh, Dr. Price, yours was literally the first class I took at Truett at 8 a.m. my first semester, leadership for ministry. And um, I remember so much from that, and you don't remember this, but I was a bleary-eyed 8 a.m. you know youth minister struggling in, and you, you caught me after class about two thirds of the way through the semester and said, you can do this. You can be a pastor one day if you want to. Um, and just really encouraged me. And that that sunk in. It, it really did. Um, and still gave probably the best advice I've ever been given in ministry is just don't be dumb. Just don't be dumb. You can get a lot of things done if you just don't be dumb. That's still quoted in the halls. Um, and Dr. Cook has just been one of my great friends and mentors. Um, as my wife, Kelly, and I look back on our life in ministry, there's just not uh many moves we've made or things we've done that didn't have Ron's fingerprints of guidance and good advice and wisdom somewhere there um, and are just close personal friends with Ron and his family. And so uh, it's just meaningful for me to have you guys on today and to have this conversation. And I know many others will enjoy it. Um, Well, to get going, uh, tell us a little bit about your call to ministry, um, how that call came to you, um, and where did you get started in ministry? How did you get started in ministry?
1: Matt, I'm going to, I'm going to say this, uh, just starting out. Uh, the only reason I agreed to come on this is that you said you were going to have Levi because I knew I could just say what Levi said and we would careful, all be careful. That. so
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So I, I hope Levi will lead out here on this.
2: Well, uh, I was a preacher's kid and um uh, I think I I actually think I had the calling to be a, a pastor while I was in high school. I, I I'm gonna it's a long story, I'll make it brief. I decided later on in my life that I didn't want to be a pastor. My father was a pastor and I saw things that happened to him and I didn't want to be a pastor. And uh was outside that calling for for many years. After I graduated from Baylor, I went out to California. Uh, my folks lived there then, and that was our home record then. Went out to California and worked for a contractor, big, big building contractor. And I remember I was on a job working, and, and my dad came out and followed me around all day long saying, you know, you need to follow the leadership of the Lord. And I said, I don't want to. Uh, later on in my life, I uh, went to the Marine Corps. And while I was in Vietnam, a uh, a chapter witnessed to me. That's one of the reasons I appreciate it military chaplains, chaplain minister to me, really called me back to commitment to Christ. And once I came back to commitment to Christ, uh, I didn't do it while I was in Vietnam. It was, I was uh, about a year after I got back from Vietnam, I I came back to commitment to Christ. At that point, I began to deal with uh, the call to ministry. And uh, from there, uh, well, as I say, it's a long story, but from there, we went to uh, Golden Gate Seminary out in California. That was our home record at that time. Went to Golden Gate Seminary. I didn't want to, to go to Southwestern. My dad had gone Southwestern. <laughs> but my pastor in Maryland, where I was, my last duty station, he wanted me to go to Southeastern. And that's all I wanted to do is stay on the East Coast at that time in my life. So uh, I ended up doing my seminary uh, there at uh, Golden Gate. Never been sorry about that. I, yeah. I, I felt like I got a really good uh, education there I was pleased uh, with the education that i got and that's that's pretty much i, I don't know how far you want me to go
0: no uh, that's great that's great why don't oh, you what about uh, you
1: uh well you know it's interesting just hearing Levi say this and he didn't talk about years i uh, but our some of our experience may have overlapped. And California's, uh, our family had moved. We're native Texan. We had moved to California when I was uh, about to enter high school, and uh, I started college at a community college mainly because of athletics, and I didn't know what to do with my life. And it was a a time of uh, of great turbulence. Levi mentioned mentioned the Vietnam War. Uh, This was 1968, 1969 and it was a time of uh, great turbulence in our country and our campus was just embroiled Mm. and all of those in Southern Northern California embroiled in campus protests. Uh, People today don't realize how volatile uh, they were you know, and how many many threats there were, how many bombs went off and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, I was really... uh, uh, you know, looking around, uh, asking a lot of questions. You know, a, a young college student, and uh, several things happened. Uh, and let me just mention off, kind of bullet point, and kind of get to the to the to the point here. Uh, Martin Luther King died in the spring of 1968, and uh, I had grown up in a family. My dad, I hope. I hope some of my cousins aren't watching this. My dad came from a really strongly racist family. I love, I love my family, uh, but he came along and he, he had a bent toward anti-racism, mainly because of the people he had gone through World War II with and other factors. And so we were raised to have great respect uh, for people of other races, not only great respect, but deep love. My dad had been a coach and he integrated a football team under great distress, I might say. Uh, in the 1950s, and so um, anyway, I stayed home and watched that entire funeral of Martin Luther King Jr., and I was overwhelmed with emotion, and I knew something was deeply wrong in this country, you know, and and we live in a really broken world. A little later, Robert F. Kennedy died. He was the second of the Kennedy brothers, and I started being drawn to go down to Laguna Beach, California with my New Testament and read. I, I did it almost every day, uh, for, you know, outside of the, the sports times that I was in that summer and, uh, began to ask the question, you know, and to say, you know, before God, you know, someone has to let people know there's a better way than this. And I got this real strong, uh, sense. I've never heard an audible voice in my life, but, but I heard something as clear as that. Well, yeah, you need to do that. I mean, and it had my name on it. I, I, uh, you know, I knew it was very personal. I I knew that God had uh, put a claim on me and it was just as distinct. And then I ended up transferring to Baylor and going to seminary in Louisville with some of the people you just mentioned earlier. Yeah. But it was just, it was that. And it, you know, I I, want to iterate. We live in a time of great uh, turbulence. And I tell you what, God needs servants. Uh, at a time like this (laughs) it's not a time to run away it's a time to listen and uh because the lord is probably calling a number of good people uh to preach the gospel and minister in times like this
0: which is exactly why we ask that i mean i it's just one of my favorite things to do is ask pat ministers ask anybody really what is your sense of calling and how did that come and particularly if it's carried you over some decades how that both grounded you and carried you forward. And we'll talk more about that over these, uh, these next few conversations. Um, and, and I'm learning more and more, there's, there is no typical call story, is there? I mean, we kind of have some stereotypes perhaps, but they, they all come differently, they all come uniquely. They often come through others, you know, that, that recognize giftedness in us before ourselves or in the midst of crisis and turmoil. Um, and uh, those, are, those are wonderful stories. So how did you both get started out? I mean, where you received that call, you, you both went to seminary, um, not in the training method, but but how did you get started out serving? Where did that, how did that look for you guys?
2: Okay, Rod, you get to go first this time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, if I go first, uh, I, I'll, I'll make it fast. You know, Levi knows the pastor ordained me, Brian Crow, and uh uh, in California, and uh, Brian immediately once I told him I was called the ministry, he said, "You're my intern," and what that meant was gopher. Um, and uh, I got to do a lot of little things around the church. I and I, you cannot overvalue just working alongside a pastor when you're young. So that's one thing. My first real church job, I was an assistant custodian. Now I'm not gonna. They wouldn't even. Uh, one of my Friends in Seminary, was full-time custodian at the Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Louisville. I couldn't get a church because my wife didn't play the piano, and all the guys whose spouses played the piano got the churches. I knew guys who couldn't preach their way out of a paper bag who got churches, and I thought, look at that guy, you know? Well, anyway, so I took a job as an assistant custodian, and it was at a church that had a really high value of their, and I fouled up as a custodian, and and this old businessman one day said, you know, you can do a good job if you want to. It had tremendous impact on me uh, to think that in the realm of church work, that God wants our best. And then, uh, and then I won't go into detail in my first pastorate. I plunged way in over my head. Uh, I planted a church for the old Home Mission Board in Indianapolis because yeah, the placement director at Southern called me in, Dr. Larry McSwain, and he said, Ron, I think I found a church that might call you. And I said, really? Why? He said, well, they don't pay anything. So anyway, <laughs> uh, that, that was, how. but we got home mission board assistance, and I, but I was way in over my head. And I, I would encourage anybody, uh, if they have a chance to get into a ministry position of any kind, that's bigger than they are. Uh, you have to learn fast. And I think that was very valuable.
0: You know, I visited with one of our graduates yesterday who had served as a church uh, secretary or assistant while in Truett and was talking about what incredible training that ended up being for pastoral ministry, how much they learned under a healthy pastor in a healthy place by what you would not really consider that as, perhaps as a typical placement toward the pastorate. But um, so some of those non-typical jobs ended up end up serving us quite well in there, but Levi, what
2: about you? Well, I was, when I got to seminary, I, I wanted to preach. And so there was a vice president at the seminary that sent the guys out. You know, church would call in and, and uh, he would send them out. And I camped on his doorstep until he finally sent me out somewhere. And then he got a good report. So I got sent out several times after that. Um, but when, going to my first church, I had a classmate that caught me in, in my first class in the morning and said, um, Levi, would you go over here and preach for me? Uh, I was supposed to go here, and another church called me, wanted me to come in view of a call. So, so I went over to that church and preached for him that Sunday. Actually, when I showed up, they thought I was he.
0: <laughs>
2: and uh, n- nobody realized who I was until I'd been there for a while. <laughs> that church ended up calling me to be the pastor. Uh, it, 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 Talk about over your head, that was the church I was, I was the first part-time pastor, you know, seminary student pastor that church had had, but they'd gotten into tremendous financial trouble, and we may talk about this a little bit later, but got into tremendous financial trouble, and they had to go to a, a student pastor, and so that was my first pastor. I had also been working as a janitor, Ron. I was, was cleaning up the, the county attorney's office, making $105 a week, $105 a week, and by this 1969, y'all, so, so you get the picture here. And uh, that church called me, and they said, we'll pay you $100 a week. That sounded good to me to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so I began being pastor. And I, for the rest of my seminary life, I was, actually for five years, I was pastor of that church. Uh, went through the uh, uh, master's program and also the DMN program there, while, uh, the, the class part of the program while I was there at that church. And uh, just a couple of things, talk about being over your head, you know, just the fact that they were used to a full-time pastor, and I was trying to do the job. But uh, I'm not sure that's bad. Uh, Ron, you mentioned that. I'm not sure that's bad at all. That causes us to have to grow, and we lean on the Lord that way, and lean on our friends and the people that could give us advice. So that's the way it started for me.
0: You know, I've, I feel a little left out. I've never had a custodian or janitor as my title, but... <laughs> I will say as youth minister and senior pastor, I cleaned a lot of toilets and emptied a lot of trash and mopped a lot of floors. (laughs) It was still part of the job description much of the time. Um, Yeah, I don't know if I've ever had a job, including today, where I didn't feel a little in over my head. Um, That kind of feels like kind of stock of the trade a little bit. Uh, Well, what do you all remember? In your early days of ministry, as just particularly challenging, I mean, y'all mentioned being over your head, and this could be in those churches or just those first 10 or 15 years um, in congregational ministry. Uh, what do you remember as most challenging?
2: Levi's
1: turn. <laughs> I
2: I uh, sort of mentioned this earlier, but uh, I went to this church that was in tremendous financial trouble. They'd actually had a preacher come in and steal $50,000 from them. And uh, you know we were they they were in a bond program. I I need to explain this story. They they were in a bond program, and they were also uh, the renewal agency had bought them out downtown, and they moved out to the edge of town, and uh, they took the money that should have gone into the bond bond sinking fund, and they were paying for the land. And so uh, you, you know the state could have closed us down. We couldn't buy anything on credit, even. Even the science School board would not uh, give us material if we didn't send a check along with it, you know. And, and so we were struggling, trying to figure out how to come out on top of that thing. And I got the people from the California Baptist Foundation. That one of them was a real mentor to me, and uh, got them to uh, help me. And we came up with a, a with a plan, and went to the Home Mission Board. Nobody else. Nobody else would. Uh, uh, farmers went to the Home Mission Board at that time and asked for. Um, we needed $105,000 in order to, to refine it. That doesn't sound like anything now, but that was a lot of money back then.
0: Yeah.
2: And the Home mission board came back and said, we don't give anything over $100,000. And I didn't know what to do. Uh, yeah, I'm a kid. Uh, I've been to war, but I mean, you know, I didn't know did ministry. And I went back to church and I said, we got to pray about this. And so we met for a week. And prayed every day for a week. We met and prayed, and then every 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 time we got together for anything, we prayed that God would help us. It wasn't that we weren't willing to pay the money. We just had to have a plan so we could get out yeah. so far over our heads that we could begin to deal with it. And sure enough, about about two months later, the whole mission board came out with a new plan, and now they're gonna now they're gonna uh, give financing up to one hundred twenty five thousand dollars. We were so moved that we thought God could even move the home mission board. You know? It was just, it was just, I cannot tell you uh, what that meant to that church. But what it meant to me in my ministry is the difference prayer makes when a church gets together and they pray and they seriously pray. And they know that there's no answer except what God can do. Uh, and that has uh, probably affected. Uh, my ministry, early, from the early days, that's probably affected by ministry. than anything else is the power of prayer. Everything everything that we have done in the ministry that I've been involved, we've included uh, the prayer. And uh, just to follow up that if, with just another word, if I may say the last building uh, program I was in was in El Paso. And uh, somebody asked me if I learned anything that I'd use again. I said, I ain't going to do it again. <laughs> but, but. Uh, The first building, uh, you know, the last building was about 1995. And we began that thing with 40 days of prayer, got this specialist to come in. He said, you don't have enough money. You can't, you can't raise enough money. I said, don't tell anybody. And sure enough, we not only raised the money, but we paid that building off before it was built. Wow. Mm -hmm. And it was just Mm -hmm. one of those powerful things. And so Mm -hmm. I would say more than anything else in terms of my ministry, uh, the power of a, a, of a united prayer of a church mm-hmm. is is uh god responds to that it's it's amazing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: and it is uh you know Levi some of my stories different but similar when we had uh 40 or 50 people in our church leave over a three or four month period and uh, and it just it just broke our spirit or my spirit and some of our key leaders or it was about to, we were, we were bending, (laughs) we were bending to a point of breaking, and in January 3rd of that new year, um, after that had happened, three of us gathered together, I've not really done it exactly like this before or since, with a handful of deacons, we gathered and prayed for a day, or half a day, uh, half a day really of prayer, and a full day together, Um, and it changed the trajectory of our heart, and our ministry, and that church, I mean, we we became a much different church centered on prayer, uh, but we never could have got there if we hadn't gone through what we went through, you know, it had, it took that to create that, that um, understanding of need, I guess, Um, but yeah, very similar, that's, that's fascinating. Ron, what about you? What were some of your, your early challenges, and, and, and maybe Levi kind of took us there a second of what is some of those early days of ministry that's carried you, that you carried forward into the rest of your ministry?
1: Well, before I I answer that, I mean, this is one of the, this is why I said what I did earlier. I mean, about Levi, you know, uh, we're living in a day in which technique and, you know, the the new awareness of what church ought to be has kind of taken the new wave of how we do ministry and Levi and you, you too have just said something, you know, we, I mean, it's a work of God, and um, and if it is not, we're, we're pretty futile in what we do, so I just want to say my amen before I say anything to that. Um, uh, I ended up going to a church in Indianapolis, Indiana, 100 miles north of Louisville, and because <laughs> they didn't pay anything, but anyway, there's a lot more to that. The Home Mission Board had uh, a church had moved out of an inner city neighborhood, and and. Indiana Baptist wanted, it was a large population area. And uh, many of the people there were transplanted people from the hills of Kentucky and Tennessee, and uh, worked in factories, you know, they'd moved north. And um, so we started a church and it grew pretty fast, fastest growing church I've ever pastored Uh, but in my first deacons meeting, there was a sheet metal worker. There was a guy who worked in some kind of office. There was an old factory worker, and there was one other guy, and I said something about 10 minutes into the meeting, uh, which I did early in ministry several times that uh, I had to learn and grow up a lot, but I said something that set this guy off. Now, C.W. Belcher was an old he grew up in a coal mines of eastern Kentucky. And I hope I don't offend anybody. He had one eye looking at you and one eye, one eye hunting for you all the time. When you try to look at him, you try to move around and see where is this guy? And I said something that set him off. And he started walking around the room. And I could tell he was upset. To this day, I don't know what it was. But it was a I think it was the way I responded to some of the things the deacons were talking about. And I was a new I wasn't really brash, but I wasn't respectful enough, I'm sure. He said, preacher, would you step outside? And so we go out in the hall and go out in the backyard and he has his hands on his hips and he's fuming around. And he said, preacher, you and I are going to disagree on a lot of things I can tell. I thought, boy, this is a way to get started in my pastor. And he looked at me and he said, I'd like to to know that you and I could have a fist to skull fight out here and go back and be friends. And I almost stopped breathing. I thought, am I about to get in a fight here or what's going on? What he was telling me was, You and I might have to step out and argue a few things out, but you know what? When we walked back in that room, he was fully supportive of me. He was communicating to me that, you know, we're going to have to work through a lot of things, you and I, and we did. And he, I I haven't ever had a deacon more helpful to me than that man was because he didn't mind telling me when he thought I was wrong or when he disagreed with me. And then we'd pray about it and it was done. Uh, but here's the point, learning to love and respect and work with people who are really different from myself, that was an incredible gift from God. I, uh, Man, I tell you, learning to love and respect and work with those people just put a stamp on my ministry and uh, one that was needed. And and I'll add one little other little tag, uh, learning to get things done with a limited amount of time, you know, in seminary. <laughs> I mean, you're you're just you're, you know if you're t- taking seminary seriously plus doing ministry, but wherever you are, um, you know I hear I hear some people with these idyllic expressions of pastoral ministry, and I think boy, you know you uh, you must have been like Eugene Peterson and been able to do it just like you wanted to. I think you know maybe maybe three percent of the people in ministry. And by the way, I use Eugene's book in class, but uh, for most of us, it just doesn't work that and learning to use limited amounts of time to get things done was really important to me.
0: Have you read uh, the new biography by Wynn Collier on Peterson, um, A Burning in My Bones? It, no. uh, it's much more a biography, and uh, it tells some of the rest of that story that's really good. It's a great companion to the pastor to tell a little more of the, the full story there, but yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. It, 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 it and elevates the pastor I think doesn't take away from it but um anyway that's a little aside That's uh, neither here nor there um well I remember I don't remember a ton from seminary a lot of it sunk in but I can't recall it you know in, in a moment but I remember very specifically in one of the classes I had with Dr. Price Dr. Cook was the guest and this is an I have I have shared this with people it sunk in when one of the things you shared Ron was um You know, everybody gets to see the pastor's expertise and knowledge every Sunday. You know, you get to go up there and you know the most about this or close to the most in your church and you're prepared for it, Um, that you need to get to see the practical geniuses and you need to understand and let the people in your church show you what they're good at, what they love and understand and appreciate who they are. And boy, that hit home. I took it to heart. And was one of the fun things of ministry is going and seeing people in their workplace and sitting down over lunch and coffee and understanding what gives them joy and what makes them tick, what motivates them, what they're good at and what they have to offer the kingdom of God. And so uh, y'all live that out and y'all pass that along to a lot of us. And it certainly needs to continue being passed along, is appreciate those people and learn from it,
2: them. See, I was smart to have Ron in that class, right? <laughs>
0: No, (laughs) you know, Levi, I teach life and work of the pastor now every fall. And when I have guests almost every week and at the end of semester, the, when they give the reviews of the class, the guests are always the best part of the class, you know, always the people that you bring in, which I try not to be hurt and take it personally, but uh, I am smart enough to bring in (laughs) smarter people. And, uh, that, that has its own thing. Um, that was really well said, um, and, and so much to learn from in that. And, you know, Ron and, and Levi, what gets so much uh, press right now, and it's true, is the division that our culture is facing. We already talked about some of the parallels between the late 60s and the cultural divisions and now, and lots being written and talked about that. And after COVID, we faced all this. But I firmly believe uh, those people like that man are still in the church that that you can disagree with, but still find ways to work together. There's others as well that don't wanna work with you, that division is creeping, but there still are those people of peace that may be obstinate at time and may not be get along well, but that we can work together peacefully. Um, and boy, they are um, a great comfort, aren't they? <laughs> that we can do that.
1: Yeah, the people who disagree with you to your face are usually not your enemy.
0: <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Yeah, there's a big difference there, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Well, what is kind of a last question to visit about, um, to speak to those in ministry now, uh, it's a hard time to be pastoring. We talked about that before we went live today. And then we got a whole crop of, of people entering ministry, many of whom have joined their church, have been serving their churches over a year in pandemic. They don't know their church other than in pandemic, which is such a, a hard way to do it. You get to know your people in crisis. And you're going to have to learn to know them in peacetime, which generally that works the opposite. Uh, what what encouragement would you give, just as you view the early years of ministry? What encouragement would you give young ministers today?
2: It's Levi's turn. I this this one I really thought about. Um, I think I would maybe suggest. Five things. If I may do that, I'm not going to preach sermon on these five. <laughs> but uh, the first one is don't don't do dumb stuff. And y'all expect to, to hear that from me. But I cannot tell you how many of my former students have said that's the one thing I remember that you said is don't be dumb. I, I'm convinced that most of the problems that pastors get into, both young and old, is by doing dumb stuff. I, I'm just strongly convinced of that. And uh, I take my reference there from. Ephesians five, where it says, "Be not unwise, but wise." Understand what the will of the Lord is. So, you know, uh, that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is the responsibility that's involved in being a pastor uh, is we take on an incredible responsibility. I have, I've been reading in my daily Bible readings about King Saul, and if you go back, and I don't have to tell. Dr. Cook, this, he's an Old Testament scholar. He's the one I asked for information about Old Testament. But to go back to the story of King Saul, the early part of his life is a beautiful story. It's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. But he was not responsible himself. And um, we got so many pastors nowadays that, uh, you know, you read a paper, it seems like Christianity Day or something. It seems like every every month you read something, somebody's fallen in one way or another. So, responsible. Taking the responsibility seriously. Third thing is compassion. I don't care what you say. You cannot be a pastor if you don't love people. You just cannot be a pastor if you don't love people. And uh, you've got to love the people. I, I I am a personal example to say that uh, there are times when I haven't loved people. i prayed that God would give me love for people. And without fail, God has given me love for those people. And I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm very serious about that. Um, and so compassion is really important. Uh, the last thing that, that I would uh, suggest to you is important is is uh, keeping up your personal devotional life. It's so easy to get involved with seminary, so easy to get involved with the church, and particularly when you're in seminary and doing church ministry too, that you, you don't have time for that. And then you get out in ministry and you've already created a pattern of not having time for it. But it's just really vital, in my opinion, to have your personal time with God every day. And um, there's just not anything that will take the place. And I know I'm I'm saying things that have been said a hundred times before, but I'm saying from my own experience, I've learned this, that that you need your personal time with God and personal worship with God every day. You just really need that.
0: Well, friends that are watching, we had a computer glitch as has happened. So you will see my background has changed, but, uh, Dr. Price had just finished sharing some of his encouragement to young pastors, and we had to make a quick change. And so, Ron, help us finish up well. What would you, what would your encouragement be to young ministers?
1: Well, I had just told Levi uh, that I I was about to step in alongside what he said there uh, on some of that, because, you know, I really do think that, uh, that God uh, gives a love for the people along with the calling. In fact, I I I think that is so important for God to develop a you know a deep love for God's people, and uh, I you know you know and I'll I'll echo just what Levi said. Uh, you know sometimes He has to give it to you because it's not easy. I'm not easy to love. Uh, In fact, when I do interim passage, the first thing I do is form the Glop Club, G L O P. God loves honorary people. And I declare myself president. And I said, I'm going to look out for the honoriest people in this congregation and I'm going to put you in this club. I learned a long time ago to get them up close to you if you could. So, uh, you know. That may be worth the price of admission
0: right there. That's great.
1: Yeah. yeah, Well, I don't. Yeah, the Glop Club. Well, uh, you know, and I had to learn the hard way. I mean, early in my ministry, thanks be to God, you know, the last time I told somebody I was going to kick their, you know what, I had to learn the, you know, the, anyway, God's had to do a work on me, believe me. And, uh, I, I, I have, you know, I have this mild mannered part of me, but I got this Irish temper that I've had to, had to deal with all my life. So, uh, but anyway, the love of the people, you know, I, I, Along that line, I think uh, what I would say in terms of encouragement, I think most people really want to love their pastor. I really do. I uh, I think the vast majority in the church really want to, and you know, and it's uh, that's not an easy thing. But I think it's important to remember that because it's easy to look the other way and think, well, so and so is upset with me, and to get obsessed about a few. And uh, I think when it finally took on me uh, that I realized most of the people really did want to love me as their pastor and could focus more on that, it really made a change of perspective. And I say that by way of encouragement, uh, because I, I think our human nature is such that it's easy to focus on criticism. When I see mature pastors that are still reacting too strongly to criticism, I think, you know, what Levi said a while ago about the, the spiritual life, I really think, boy, there needs to be some work there. And I say that by way of testimony, yeah. you know, that I, I knew at those times when I was reactive or whatever that uh, I needed to do some personal devotional work. And, uh, and I'll just say one other thing. Uh, I, and this is a kind of a difficult to say, and I'm not, I'm not the best at words on this, but You know, we really, when God calls us to the ministry and puts us in a pastoral position, we really are an occasion for God to work. We're one of the best opportunities God has. You know, he works through people and he works powerfully and significantly through pastors and ministers, leaders of congregations. I mean, that's an occasion for God to be at work. And uh, I tell you, you know, it is such a deep, deep uh, uh, privilege you know, the pastoral life is a magnificent life in that sense. It is a work of God, if God is at work. And even without, you know, our failure in humanity, and I would say that by way of encouragement, that, you know, uh, you can talk all you want to about the hardships and the difficulties and running away from those. And, and I think if we talk later, we may talk about resilience. But I think you know to to really realize that God is at work through our life for the sake of His church, the body of Christ, uh, which is so precious to God, and He's at work using us uh, to bring wholeness and health through what He can do you know through us, and we're not the be all and end all, and it's not about us, you know it it, it uh, and and I put emphasis on that that occasion for God that you know we just. Uh, My philosophy of ministry is all we, that I adopted from an old turpentine farmer in Georgia, when he said to me, preacher, all we do is give God a chance to work. That's all we do. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are occasions for, and anything we do is an occasion for God to be at work. And it, I think, I, I say that by way of encouragement. It's, you know, there's a magnificence about that I don't know that exists uh, in anything else I know of. And there are a lot of other wonderful things that people can do. But to be called into that is, you know, uh, looking back, it just grows in its magnificence. When I look, and it's, I think it's one of the reasons I love pastors, and I really do. I just think they're, I look and I think, man, you know, these are magnificent. Not, you know, they may be limited. I, I, you know, I know their weaknesses and whatever, but look at what God's doing through this person. And uh, it, it just uh, you know
0: it's an immense privilege. So, and that's a good word. And I hope for those that are watching and listening, that's a great encouragement. Um, in the midst of whatever you may be facing, Pastor, in any given day, in any given hour or season, um, to give that word of the magnificence of this calling, um, and to to give God room to work, being about that. That's a that's a pretty good philosophy of ministry right there. But well, Ron and Levi, thank you so much for today. Um, again, if you're watching, following today, we're going to have a couple more conversations on developing, uh, on really on how Levi and Ron have faced conflict through the years and dealt with conflict, but also uh, resi- how resiliency is formed um, through conflict and crisis and other things. And then a third conversation on transitions in ministry. And then the last stage of ministry. How do you know it's, it's time to retire And then what has kept these guys so bad at retirement, where they keep coming out of it and taking on uh, other ministry positions, how they've remained uh, loving of ministry in the church um, through, through their ministry. So we'll be having one of these each of the next few weeks. But Ron and Levi, thanks for the conversation today. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.